Hi all, I'm Alistair Stewart. I'm the host of Darrow Discussions. Um, today I wanted to talk about the genius and the warning from Ray Bradbury and Anthony Burgess and Aldous Huxley about dystopian futures. Now, there's been a revival as of late, particularly of Margaret Atwood's The Handmaid's Tale and Philip K. Dick's The uh, Man in the High Castle. And I suppose you might think from the title that the obvious point to begin this discussion would be considering 1984 by George Orwell. It's the, it is the seminal dystopian text, but what concerns me about it is that it's now become it's become too easy to call something Orwellian. We all know what it means: Big Brother and Room 101 and doublespeak of all passed into the cultural and political lexicon, constant observation and scrutiny and intrusion from the government are the essences of a totalitarian system and as such they usually get some George, or George Orwell reference thrown at it in, in criticism. So while 1984 remains remarkable and, and, and seminal and transformative in political writing and thinking, what it does lack is the technological uh, imagination of the other works in the same dystopian genre. I, th I think what's curious about The Handmaid's Tale and A Man in the High Castle is they both do kind of lack that as well. There's there's the security forces and the security services, but there's nothing that actually explains how it is that holds us together. And I discussed that and I about the handmaid's tale i discussed that in a previous podcast just my curiosity is less with the sort of keyhole vision of what is going on and more with how is it that the system came to be and how is it that it's held in place i think that's a key underlying force in the justification for the autocratic rule and i think it's worth exploring just a little bit more than the sort and i hate to say it but the sort of cliched now the now cliched big brother is watching you what's interesting is that ray bradbury and anthony burgess and aldous huxley they stand as giants that are very different to each other and to orwell and his big brother fahrenheit 451 a clockwork orange and brave new world are are three of the most famous but narratively diverse examples of dystopian literature that you'll find there are three different viewpoints at how to see a really dire future feature system the feature of these systems of government are pretty common actually they abuse technology to maintain their power all of them under a facade of moral or social or or economic preservation fiction is the natural home for projecting our worries about technological advancements in, into a context of tomorrow but and the writers of these novels use setting and symbolism to convey their fears about potential abuse all masquerading under the banner of social progress um i'm reminded actually of margaret atwood who said that the reason that the handmaid's tale or one of the reasons she thinks it was a success is that when critics would say, oh, that could never possibly happen, is she would say that everything that she describes in this work of fiction has happened. And I think that's kind of true of these three books now more than ever, and that the technology 
that they have in them have all become kind of second nature to our world today and at a time when they were written that they would have looked like that might happen it probably will happen but certainly not happened yet a clockwork orange by burgess is particularly curious it warns of the dangers of giving the state complete control over the individual in the name of a moral cause chiefly reducing crime novel focuses on uh, alex a, a teenager a, a ghastly teenager with a love for stealing rape and general violence but after alex is arrested and sentenced to prison for killing a woman he volunteers for a new government program called ludovico's technique it's a medical procedure which would reduce his and and, and reduces uh, remaining 12 year sentence to a mere two weeks it's systems meant to stop criminals reoffending by making them feel extremely sick when trying to commit acts of violence it's it's clear here that the government's obsession with cutting crime is driving the fundamental question of of of, of what the, of, of this text is it better for a man to be naturally evil than to be forced to be good wicked deeds of are, are heinous but regarding freedom of choice regarding the ability to be human Burgess raises the point that it might be worse to be monstrous and free than someone who is controlled dehumanized and unable to genuinely be human anymore that is a, a question these days which is particularly prevalent when we launch criticisms of the the how prisons in the uk are conducted parts of it are now being run by uh, outsourced to other organizations there is the accusation that prisons have become too comfortable it worries me that this even the 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 beginnings of this question are already kind of alive and well um particularly when you look at the format that the prisons may or when you i conjecture on, on what format this may take in the few prisons may take in the future burgess is interesting in that he contends medical reform defeats its purpose as only rehabilitation from choice can be sincere this fictional government is concerned with reducing crime but at the expense of free choice it crosses the line of state duty of projecting of protecting citizens into the realm of removing the rights of the individual altogether if they break the law the costly and futile exercise of trying to coerce someone with technology is even more apparent in the 21st section of the novel symbolic and as 21 is the age in britain that someone is generally regarded as to be fully mature full adult alex's treatment rendered him safe to society but it produced and this is the incredible thing about this book it produced a backlash that led to the procedure being reversed by the end of the novel alex has changed under his own volition as he reaches adulthood and considers a family of his own it raises the question of what is the purpose of rehabilitation is it to is it to genuinely rehabilitate for the sake of society or is it to rehabilitate from within to contribute to society i think a clockwork orange is special in that it recreates the hypocrisy of what society wants to see punishment but not cruelty and it goes more in depth to ask if it's possible to genuinely change without intervention 
the state should punish criminals, but as a method must be applied, is it one, is it permissible? How far will we go to induce one that does not cause suffering to the criminal, yet we want to see a punitive measure against them? What is a human being without free choice? Is it worth the sacrifice? If it's for the greater good, do governments have the right to make such decisions? It's a subtle but a unique line of inquiry from Burgess that really other contemporaries of his lack in their, their, their questioning because they're looking at it from not just coercing behaviour but he accepts the behaviour has to come from within rehabilitation or punishment is there a line in between Aldous Huxley's Brave New World alternatively is meant to be a utopia set 500 years in the future it's organised on the principles of Henry Ford strict established and engineered in all aspects genetic engineering now creates people to propagate an economic caste system that allows for promiscuity and, and casual drug use as a preference people are no longer created but rather made with an intolerance ingrained into children to loathe anything that does not meet the normality of the majority the novel has several protagonists first bernard marx is a psychologist uh, he's short in stature and feels alienated from and loathes a society that demands perfection while an interesting perspective this is I think better understood through the, the, the we'll call natural born character of John the Savage who most resembles contemporary humanity in, in, in his failures and in his in his, his his normal biology his interests and are in, in human nature he rejects the culture that is in man and intellectual endeavor in in favor of drugs and sex and, and entertaining distraction the medical process Bokanovsky's process in, in a brave new world that allows for the creation of these castes for a specific duty has really disturbing parallels to globalization and ties back to a clockwork orange in, in terms of what is the role of a human in society it, it, the novels and investigation of genetic manipulation as the underpinning of 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 a caste-based economy almost parodies humanity as as functionaries not individuals and where the world is today or certainly how it is reported on globalization today how that is how that is touched upon children in this world are are especially programmed to be economically efficient with free will as a secondary concern including and the appreciation of arts and beauty it's just no longer seen as relevant this is best exemplified i think in the novel by helmholtz waltzen who creates slogans and advertisements used in the 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 the, the programming the hypnotic program for babies so that they become early consumers uh, something that's very much returned to much later by david mitchell's uh, a cloud atlas the idea may be satirical, but the the of the nature of advertisements in America. But when Huxley visited California in the nineteen twenties, he intensely disliked the constant bombardment of advertisements and slogans. And indeed, that is even more so the case in today's world. 
The world controller, Mustafa Mond, he tries to defend the system by saying that it has attempted to preserve people from having emotions at all because emotions are dangerous. The price of genetic engineering and of this programming for social stability are an eerily prescient reminder that economics and genetics can hold people in place and dehumanise without firing a shot. The only escape in this world is the government-supplied drug, SOMA, um, it, again, it's familiar to those who read a Cloud Atlas and the soap that keeps the genetically programmed uh, serving cast in place. This Fordian society is a utopia economically, but it's a social husk for the human spirit. The abuse of technology seen here is similar to A Clockwork Orange, as both systems stem and are rooted in the claim that they are trying to better humanity while paradoxically stripping that humanity away. The surge in what technology can do is repeatedly overwhelms human free will because what should be done can never keep up with what can be done. And what can be done always seems to overrule and to take precedence. Finally, Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury even more explicitly warns of the danger of, of technological control and as almost more, is more in line with, with today's society. Focuses on the character of Guy Montag and the reader witnesses his progressive dismay in, uh, for his profession as a book-burning fireman against something which is symbolically passed into the to to the the the, the political lexicon of, of western civilization because in this society firefighters burn books because those in power believe they are saving humans from conflict justified because books lead to opinions and opinions create disagreements like a clockwork orange and a brave new world the underlying rationale for the severe curtailment of liberty stems from the state's so-called good intentions the philosophy behind censorship in, in this book is different from the other two novels as it seems oddly meta. The character of Captain Beatty, Montag's uh, far chief boss, is actually a well-educated man familiar with the very texts that his own firemen are burning. The first of the three sections of the novel, The Hearth and the Salamander, Beatty explains that censorship exists because of the intellectual unrest that book caused. He explains to Montag that every person is angered and distressed by at least one book, therefore the obvious solution is to rid the world of all books, which allows people to stay happy with their time and with their entertainment. A very similar logic to Huxley's Brave New World. Beatty even goes so far as to argue that people live for pleasure and now only a small, a small proportion of human life is given over to discomforting work and thought. Sports and televisions and book burning are now the ultimate solutions to natural intellectual disparity. So the reason goes, it creates it, that creates the unhappiness the government has resolved through a, 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 to resolve through a totalitarian state. All of these books are 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 are, are have created technological systems, not cultural systems. Technological systems which are rash, have behind the rationale that the state is actually doing a favour for the citizenry. The lifestyle of, of constant entertainment, television, fast cars, adverts and endless irrelevant information has produced 
as a society of, of, of dullards who, who love what they can feel rather than what requires concentration and thought in Fahrenheit 451. In the second part of the novel, the Stephen San Montag's house is burnt down for harbouring books as Captain Beatty quotes from famous literature, including Shakespeare and Samuel Johnson. It stresses the double, stand, uh, double standard of this forced egalitarianism. There will always be a hierarchy at the centre, and, and it's just a question of how people know that it works. Knowledge, and again a cliche, and forgive me for it, but knowledge is power. Even in the latter half of the uh, that latter half of part two in the, the final chapter of the book of, of the novella, Burning Bright, the, the character of Fabra, a former English professor, advances his point by saying that the blanket ignorance of an unmoving majority is the intransigent enemy of truth and progress. Bradbury even hints throughout the, the book that the shift that occurred to produce people to no more than ignorant entertainment lovers was the result of giving those in power reason enough to remove books in the first place. Perhaps an allusion to democracy run amok, and that is ultimately the mantra of all tyrants. Freedom of expression will always offend people, and it is a fact, I suppose, that in a democracy that not everyone will agree with what everyone else has to say. That's an obvious point. As Churchill said, democracy is the worst form of government, save for all others. In this society, Bradbury's message is clear. Information and its interpretation is part of the natural human condition. No amount of technology or censorship will change that. The ending of the novel reflects this in its discussion of the fable of the phoenix and its endless cycle of birth and death the human condition free spirit and free speech will not die in a in a fire because it, it cannot be controlled a clockwork orange a brave new world and fahrenheit 451 all share the consensus that technology whatever the horrid side effects can somehow solve human condition through greater control from brainwashing to genetic engineering to book burning the idea of a utopic society always ends with the sacrifice of human nature whatever the motive there's always a select autocracy who somehow miraculously know that the truth behind all of this and they're the ones that have to stay in control of this ogliarchy and that's the subversion of the design upon reflection one can ponder what conditions must exist before societies decide to turn to that technology and whether it really can control and better human nature. The unique ways in which these three texts tackle the matter is perhaps why they deserve the greatest of consideration as TV revivals tend to focus more on the end result as in the case of The Handmaid's Tale and less on the motive and the means for how the control of these fictional worlds work. The, the balance is more nuanced. The sort of Venn diagram between what people want, what the government justify, how it's implemented, is more complicated than is often thought. Ideas are, of course, ubiquitous. They, they, they seldom die. But as we live in an age where the right to privacy is a constant fight and information is so dif diffuse, particularly in the age of social media, those who offer to control happiness should be met with persistent suspicion in... Yeah, I think in this, these three writers are, are overlooked as sages as to the dangers that technology 
represent. And as technology seems to be in, increasing in its scope and its scale and its, its pervasiveness into our daily lives, these questions become even more important. What is the underlying theme I think the and the last question posed by these three novels put together and the most dangerous and the most alarming and the most hurtful is to what extent did the people, the populace, the citizenry sign up to these systems? At what point did they abandon and were 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 susceptible to the logic that the loss of free choice made their lives better? and simpler.